the spookiest time of the year, there are a few guidelines all ghosts and goblins should follow. Always stay on sidewalks. Never go to a stranger's house. And never go out alone. great deal. It's a problem that I'm working on, Father. All this bleeding. Alright listeners, welcome back to 31 for 31, a Halloween movie playlist podcast performance piece of <laughs> perfection to keep you in, there you go, keep you in the Halloween spirit all 31 days of the month of October. And welcome to day 26. Today's movie is The Exorcist 3, sometimes colon, Legion from William Peter Blatty based on the novel only legion or only comma legion maybe there's a colon who knows anymore the novel's called legion starring once again <laughs> the novel's just legion starring once again the other piece of this sandwich that we had ethan hawk stuck in the Hammy middle sandwich the george c scott sandwich coming right at you and it's the opposite George C. Scott performance <laughs> that we needed. It's uh, just showing his range. Might as, as an well actor. be Exorcist 3D by how much he's popping <laughs> oh, on the yeah. screen. He's, in this he's a man at the end of his rope, and he's been there for what feels like 25 or 30 years. And <laughs> he just needs the he, rope is on. He needs everyone in the room to point. shut up, and he's pretty sure everyone is racist. Except himself, even though he says some pretty horrible <laughs> things in, in phrase, but you know. Well, that got confusing, yeah. but yeah, I mean, he's 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 a you know a character that was you know originated by uh, Lee J. Cobb, I think, in the original, um, who was the cop kind of helping the the Jesuits who yep. were dealing with the possession in The Exorcist, and now he's kind of coming back, and he's just got a. <laughs> He's just got one of those good old police detective, old aging Jesuit buddy cop situations that you hear about yeah. all the time. So he, he's playing <laughs> Lieutenant William Kinderman. And this film takes place 15 years after the original Exorcist and completely ignores Exorcist 2, the heretic. Yeah, it's well, I mean, with good reason. No. And there's but there is a tap dancing <laughs> scene and, and some other stuff. Yes. But we move on where they. He is tracking down a possible reemergence of a deceased serial killer known as the Gemini Killer, who takes a lot of inspiration from the Zodiac yeah, Killer. It's like Dirty Harry with the Scorpio Killer, where it's like, I wonder if they're trying to do something here. <laughs> yeah, I love sidebar. Just I love how they like all the Zodiac Killer knockoff copycats. It's always like the gemini the the scorpio the taurus yeah, the, the virgo like yeah, yeah that's, it's, that's its own they really didn't branch yeah. out they could have done like the tarot killer or something a little yeah. more nuanced but no woody allen did that no and i really don't think this has to be a zodiac killer like the, the guy doesn't really leave any notes or anything yeah, like, he just, just has kind a of like he was a serial killer what's good shorthand with a symbol but it ends up like yeah. I think it's almost like screenwriting exposition of like, if we make it close to the Zodiac, people will just fill in the blanks. Yes. Yeah, they'll be yeah. scared already. Yeah, like, oh yeah, this guy's not messing around. He's a, he's the real deal serial yeah. killer. You know? And this <laughs> film definitely has 
I don't know. Looking yeah. back at it now from I hadn't seen it in a long time rewatching it, it feels like a mix of Silence of the Lambs and Twin Peaks and Seven and just some crazy unconventional editing and and these really intimate shots of pieces that start you off right away. We get a opening eyes, Jesus, and we get a few moments within a church and the nice wind blowing and we have a slight moment of the score from The Exorcist and we get the shots of the stairs and then we are into a completely different movie. And uh, this was a fun one to revisit it. It's it's a nice mix of a cop procedural with a kind of occult horror thrown in and then due to reshoots, which I don't think are half bad, it, it becomes an Exorcist movie. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they needed they needed an exorcist scene apparently. That was the studio note. <laughs> Probably a pretty good uh, you know, change. Yeah, we might be jumping way ahead, but I did today find the director's cut and watch the ending of that and it is not good and it is <laughs> Yeah. We're we're going to if you're going on and you're looking at the original theatrical that's yeah, what we're talking go about. Today, watch the, that's for watch the original reason. theatrical. We hope you already did. If you watch the director's cut and it looked like it was on VHS, it's yeah. not a cooler <laughs> thing to do. This is yeah. the one of the few times where it's like not just a few extra scenes that sure should be cut for time or stuff that's a little too into it. This is just not good. Yeah. Well, I, before we dive into the full plot, because it is a little plotty yeah. and it takes the a theatrical, lot of, plot. <laughs> the theatrical procedural of exorcism. I did want to just name drop, you know, if you haven't checked it out, other William Peter Blatty directorial effort from 10 years earlier. Oh, yeah. His the ninth configuration is is a really interesting way to lead into this movie. If this movie is kind of Twin Peaks elements that Chris was talking about and just kind of the idea of having very stark, very metaphorically charged imagery with already coming from, you know, the exorcist, which is chock full of that, but going into full Patrick Ewing as the angel of death territory, <laughs> like the ninth configuration, which has pretty much an, a near identical cast, honestly, too, uh, is a really good lead in and almost like a spiritual prequel to this movie in a lot of ways. And, you know, it's also called Twinkle, 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 Killer Kane, if you can find <laughs> it over that. But, you know, that's a movie with a with a poster of an astronaut seeing a crucifix on the moon you know like it's just got like all of this really raw like what does that mean but i'm sure it means something but you know it's very literary kind of stark imagery and symbols and that's a lot of what we get into this that would probably set it apart from what people were used to seeing in like the original exorcist even yeah and this to me like kind of it totally fits into our playlist as it is fully boiled down as just good versus evil and a guy in the middle of it there's there's not really, you know, you have literal <laughs> demons and literal priests. And then George C. Scott, once again, dealing with something he he's not prepared to deal with, but he's fine just sitting there and watching it for a long time. <laughs> yeah. And in the 10 years since uh, The Changeling, he's gotten a full, you know, shot of adrenaline because he's just, you know, sometimes he's a good listener in this movie, but other times he is just bouncing off the walls in his performance in ways that well, there's been more dead kids. You wouldn't kids. really understand why. That's what I said. Dead kids, man. It just sets you off after <laughs> yeah. a while. Kid, Chris's count is check, check for this one. <laughs> I, I love this film, I think, in a lot of ways. You know, like when it came out, it was like Exorcist 3, 15 years later. Are we, you know, dragging this up again? But it really does feel like a proper sequel in ways that the second one certainly weren't or failed to do. 
like it feels like a a, a worthy expansion of the world that the first exorcist introduced yeah it's really just a trojan horse scorpio killer story or zodiac mm-hmm. killer story for reintroducing the character of damien Karras, who's the jesuit who jumps out of the window at the end of the exorcist and was really you know the one that carries the weight of the end of that movie and his kind of already expressed connection to this lee j cobb character there is like the central buddy theme of redeeming him and mm-hmm. seeing him come back in like demonic possessed form and all this kind of stuff is the emotional heart of this movie that is a lot more than just like let's follow linda blair around while she continues to get possessed <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know it, it follows a lot more from what the heart of the end of the exorcist was really about yeah and the the exorcist is such like an elegant film that is so unlike like other horror films like the fact that the sequel was just let's follow linda blair when like the Linda Blair character, obviously, Regan is, you know, the conflict of the story, but like it wasn't really her story in a sense. Like she was just really the crux of the conflict, but she's not like really the focus, like the actual heart of the film. Like she is the she is the stakes of the film, but the heart of the film is Father Karras and sort of his grappling with his own faith and, you know, his struggle and ultimately him decide like kind of accepting faith and his role in this like very cosmic battle between good and evil like that is kind of what the exorcist to me is about so the following the linda blair character seems like kind of the obvious tract and isn't necessarily a wrong decision but i like that this film decides to focus on a minor character sort of a tertiary character and kind of explore him as related to this sort of cosmic force at cosmic forces at work and how he develops and sort of like how he is a a cynic himself and sort of becomes to understand and believe in the supernatural by the end of the film and which allows him to conquer over evil and save the soul of his friend. And, you know, like we've said, they kind of shoehorn elements of the first one with exorcisms and, uh, a convoluted bringing back of of Father Karras and like it's that's something I want to talk about is like so the just to get the time right right so Karras jumps out the window commits suicide in 1975 he dies and he gets very close to gets very basically dead Pazuzu or Pazazu or whatever inserts Uh, (laughs) Gazunite inserts the spirit of the Gemini killer into him. We're still good, right? This is this is what hey, I I almost interpret it also as like, you know, he he suffered a form of death, mm-hmm. but then like this body, you know, could basically be a vessel regardless of like the mortal death or whatever. Like I yeah. kind of mm-hmm. threw those things aside and didn't think about it too hard that it's like this body like takes the form of Brad Dorif's Scorpio killer. It takes the form of Terry Karras. Like it basically Gemini. is that kind of thing with, uh, <laughs> yeah, the Zodiac killer. <laughs> uh, Brad Dorif was the Zodiac killer. I'm just putting Steven Dorf uh, is the Zodiac killer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brad Dorf is not <laughs> the Zodiac killer. He's the Scorpio killer from Dirty Harry. Yes. It's all connected and everything matters. But yeah, I think this one is just a, a little bit more of like, okay, it can take any kind of incarnate form. It could do this, but like, Ultimately, it's about the compromised soul of that person. Mm-hmm. Like any good exorcist movie, you know, we kind of get flashes of 
him, of course, crucified and being suffering. And like his soul is released when he's finally like killed in that form again. You know, it, and it's the kind of logic that works for an Exorcist movie because you just kind of have like this release that you can kind of feel, even though there isn't any logical setup on like, oh, well, if you shoot him when he's in this form at this time, that'll release the possession. And that's what's going on. But and Pazuzu isn't going to jump to the next person in the room. But yeah, I mean, that's part of, you know, the the logic follows the theme rather than the theme being tied to the logic, which I think plays to a movie's like this strengths mm-hmm. where you just have to kind of dive into like, sure, that makes sense because it needs to make sense <laughs> for the movie. Yeah, I think they can have, as he talks about in some of the scenes and just kind of, the, you know, that colon legion that we we don't really understand their realm or their world. There's multiple souls and demons and things all stuck together that can be in this other realm. And I like the element of his annoyance that when he comes into our world and when when it's him combined with a demon with an evil soul, they still have to deal with the fact that humans just have bodies and like <laughs> neurons and brains. And he's like, yeah, I'm stuck. Like I've got way better ideas for kills and way cooler stuff, but I'm really stuck with like what you guys got. To work with. <laughs> I got a really cool chopping mechanism because it was nearby. Yeah. You know? So, <laughs> yeah. And I think this movie really is like easily summarized in its plotting, you know, of just being kind of a, a serial killer body count movie and you know it's just kind of it's kinderman basically experiencing you know like the death of his jesuit friend which opens up into a lot of deaths taking place in the same mo that was seen with the you know scorpio zodiac gemini killer in the past in this hospital and then it just reveals itself to be that you know the character that is locked away assumedly the zodiac killer meshed with the scorpio killer and the gemini killer and uh meshed with terry karras you know damien uh karras's character is you know kind of just sitting in solitary confinement but the spirit possessing him jumps into the other insane people in the asylum to carry out these evil acts and that's basically all that we come to find you know it's just one death after another to summarize of basically how george c scott's character just progressively gets more interested in the the reality of this and then they just have a nice sit down where they just explain everything that had been going on for for a while and he just a, kind of a mini stage see, play yeah, yeah he sees like yeah they they have a beautifully With shot amazing kind of production dual design. lighting yeah and he just explains the whole deal switching between the faces of father Karras, you know father Karras and brad dorff's uh gemini killer and Get some good philosophy in there. Get some good explanation and exposition. <laughs> and, and great actor. Yeah. And then it just explodes from there. Into, yeah. Okay, now we know what's going on, but how are we going to end this thing? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's why one version's on the cutting room floor and one turns into a real explosive exorcism. Yeah. yeah. And there's actual in- interrogation scenes in the director's cut that has a brick wall and it looks more like a dungeon and it's just like... It it doesn't work as well, and it doesn't have Karis at all, right? Like um, that actor, no, he's not involved yeah, it's, at all. It's yeah, it's just Brad Dorf, and there's no brain monitoring machine for some reason in between that they just keep using on him. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean that I think that's such a good choice to bring him back because then it's like this has to be connected to the Exorcist. That's the one person that I would say is most important to connect to, and it throws you off quickly. I mean, with yeah. the the edits all throughout this jumping to different intimate objects that some are 
you can tell as properly being in the room some you're confused you're like wait is am i seeing something is that supposed to be there it it starts to happen with the voices and then back and forth with actors and 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 i think it works and it doesn't need to over explain itself and i mean even from the start we have these these unconventional edits and then we go into this awesome cop priest buddy movie that for a little <laughs> bit with like dialogue that really well done beautiful dialogue about the carp yeah it's the carp monologue is amazing and and some of that stuff is straight from the book and you can tell right it of, feels very novelistic yeah, yeah. how these characters are like i'm going to have conversations that feel really well worn in like they're a real friendship if but if Jamie and I said the words to each other right now. It would sound like no one has ever spoken yeah. that yep. way before. Yeah. In life. And it, it just goes with you. You just have great actors too. If if in lesser hands, the whole first twenty minutes of this movie would have been like, what? What the hell? Like I'm watching a terrible episode of Law and Order. <laughs> yeah, and they're going to see a movie together, and they're complaining about like the popcorn line. Why am I here? Yeah, <laughs> but- a movie that they've seen multiple times. So why does it matter if you're late? You got to get your you got to get your lemon drops. That's credit to the just the strength of the screenplay that they were able to get these sort of actors. I'm sure a lot of people were like, Exorcist three, what? Like George E. Scott's like, I I did the changeling. I don't need to dip my toes back. In. Yeah, and then Reddit was probably like, all right, this is awesome. Like this is a great character I'm in and bringing you back all these people. And, you know, there, there are kind of tying it back to the exorcist, not just from the, the narrative or the characters that are coming back. I thought it would always interest me about the exorcist is how much is like kind of left unsaid or how much it's giving to the audience. Like there's a murder in the exorcist that is never shown and is only conveyed through dialogue, which normally does not really work but it works really well in that film. And in the same way, there's a lot of things that it's giving credit to the audience to be paying attention and like absorbing what's going on. And there's these like mini little cliffhangers. Like when George C. Scott first sees patient X, they don't show who it is. Yeah. There's a few of those cut. It kind of, it leaves scenes really early and there's a silhouette over his face in that one scene where he just, I think he just says Kevin or something. (laughs) Kinderman or something like that, or Karis or something like that. Yeah. There's, we need to talk. There's a, Kevin, a a lapse where it kind of leaves you hanging or like when the priest is killed, like we don't see the priest die. We see the aftermath or we don't see the little boy killed. We see the aftermath. So we're kind of in the same way. We see him in heaven. Later, we do see him in it, heaven. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the yeah, and just calling him patient X too. It's just such a ninth configuration style. Like, <laughs> this is a serious film about crazy topics. Yeah. Let's talk about. Kevin, no, um, let's talk about uh, <laughs> the dream sequence that I think is, oh, yeah. you know, so emblematic of so many of the visual choices and quick cuts that are very much like off into this other plane of existence that is very metaphorical. You know, a lot of a crucified Jesus opening its eyes like a puppet in this movie, yeah. which kind of yep. becomes corny at a certain point, but is striking at first point. But yeah, I mean, one, after his priest friend dies, he, George C. Scott dreams of the heaven that he's experiencing and kind of like this call room that angels are trying to connect to the earth, but can't connect. And I swear to God, we get a blind Samuel Jackson, a <laughs> Fabio, a Patrick Ewing to name just a few. Yeah. And, you and know, before that we had a Larry, Larry King cameo that I'd never right, caught before. Right. Just eating, I was like, what? eating in a restaurant. <laughs> it, it is 
bonkers. I, I want to now right away rewatch it to see like what other people I just missed around. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange assortment. And I think that's the kind of thing where, again, it could be seen as masturbatory to be like, okay, we're just putting in things that look visually interesting. But I think that's one, having someone who's going to take the time to adapt their own book into a screenplay and really show visual elements that are just alluded to in word in in a novel that you know play out in ways that if you have the the strength of just being able to write a dream sequence you can be as wild visually as you want and like i think that another director might have cut this at the knees and made it just like a conversation with one angel-esque looking person or whatever but no this is just full all in, you know, wild, you know, completely otherly experience and, you know, just maximalist visuals of what angels would look like with gigantic wings and, and strange. It's like we're going to the Hagia Sophia and yeah, we're shooting yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> and having like weird Jacob's Ladder style reaction shots. And, and I think that's just uh, something that I would give. I don't think that William Peter Blatty is like a director I like, you know, like, mm-hmm. he, but he's a director that I would definitely respect for having like a very patient and literary way of conveying you know, what could be simple plots or, you know, very straightforward procedurals to make. I'm not going to let you leave this movie and miss out on theme, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, a Ninth Configuration does that times a million. And this movie definitely does that a very big degree. It, it's like if I'm if I'm letting you adapt my movie again, <laughs> I'm making sure I get the ideas yeah. I want in people's heads with all these this imagery and stuff like that. Well said, well said. <laughs> well we we're, we're we're big bill fans we're not like uh i don't know i don't know what else he i i don't think much and i i wonder like his his eye with his cinematographer there's there's just stuff in here that's it's unconventional but it works so well it keeps you on your toes it catches you off guard in some moments and then there's then there's really well classically done cinema shots that convey entire stories in single shots or you have that amazing pov of kinderman as he's walking into the hotel after he's you you get the shot of outside of the house of him picking up the phone call and then just a pov of him walking in you you don't see him until minutes into that scene and he's getting all the details and then once again you're not seeing all the results you just see the blood on the table but it's just it's just masterfully done that having that whole thing be in a pov is the type of thing that I, I, you don't see from I feel like a you know someone's second movie. It's just it, yeah. Like, it, he's just built to direct his own. Work yeah, yeah. He just understands it inside now, and, and he has these visuals in his head, and like edited also in a way that like he cuts very quickly around engrossing stark imagery, and he holds on more contemplative downplayed imagery a lot mm-hmm. of the time. You know, yeah. think of like the interrogation scene. It's just like streaks of light and people walking back and forth but if you've got blood on a table or crucifixion moving or shots of what could be demons we're in and out of those shots yeah real quick you know so i think that just you know amps up the fact that he's 
paying attention to things because he needs them included, needs to inject them into the viewer's mind, but he's not like holding on it to be like, look at what I shot. Mm -hmm. Isn't this impressive? You know, it's just serving the story and as little as it needs to be in there to get the job done. And that's not even mentioning like the standout scene that has been added to every top 10 scary scene, jump scares in history is, you know, the scene with the- Which does just that. Which, yeah. And I mean, that is just an incredible scene. And the scene I'm obviously talking about for the listeners is, you know, the nurse getting her head cut off, which A, we don't see, we just see the aftermath, but it is this painfully drawn out scene of a hallway that is just ramped up for minutes and minutes. And there's a, yeah. you know, a minor fake out early on that catches Which you works off guard. so well. Yeah. It works so well. Like you, you get that minor fake out and like you're saying it, it keeps going on and on to the point where I, I remembered that scene from seeing the film before, but there was almost a point where I was sitting there for so long going like, Wait, am I misremembering this? I've been here for a while. <laughs> yeah, and I, I love watching it on the rewatches, like I, the cop in the back. I mean, like, oh, he's he's still there, so that she's still safe. And I'm like, wait, how does he leave again? And I'm like, oh, of course. And like the other cops, like, we want, like, we gotta check something out or something. And then you just, it just, man. And then that insane zoom, and then of course the cut to this the, the defiled statue. It's, yep. I, I mean, there's been a, so much written and said about it that I, it's almost like we. Should, there's no need to even say more about it, but it is like like that scene alone makes this film worthwhile. But it's it's yeah, so much more that's than the that. kind of thing that yeah. some people reduce this film to that moment of being like, oh yeah, it's a scary movie that has this moment, and then it's kind of this weird contemplative thing. And it's like no, that I think the general pacing and attention to detail and visual style of this movie is all like that. Yes, where you're just being drawn in. You know, in these in these long parallel shots of hallways and things like that. And then we get these frenetic images. You know, it's almost like the couple of frames of a demon face in the original mm-hmm. Exorcist, where it's like we're here to just shock these things into your system and then draw out the things that you have to kind of sit with and, and you know, experience. Yeah. Again, this is not as good a film as the original <laughs> Exorcist. Obviously, it's not trying to be, but it's something that I think really deserves to be on this list in this sandwich (laughs) between the change leg and kind of relating it to Sinister's investigation. It it flows beautifully here. And I think it's just something that is a great example of things on this list that have gotten reevaluations recently, but have not received, I guess, the credit they have deserve in the reevaluation. Like Mm -hmm. this movie gets like, oh my gosh, a couple scenes from The Exorcist 3 are pretty wild. And here's a gif. that's entered the popular book but like can we talk about how like are we gonna unpack you know the crucified boy wearing a police brutality shirt you know it's like oh my god this is such a dense movie that we're not even gonna try to unpack every theme that it's trying to address about society's race relations sexual violence you know relationship to the clergy and religion (laughs) like it's really yeah. novelistic in, in that respect of just being like, hey, you know, we've got we've got ideas packed to go. You just take what you can. How long is the original and, novel? Like, is it like a thousand pages or something? Or not I highly doubt I'd it. Be, I'd I, be I, interested in taking a look at it and and seeing like. Yeah, it's a 248. Page <laughs> oh, book. my God. Like, it's it's a zippy book. And I'm sure, of course, like you're you're introducing things into this, but that are going to make it seem like it would take a lot more time. But, you know, it, it's from what I know, it, it's a whodunit, but it's still like contemplative. And I know they talk about like 
the Brothers Karamazov in it. Oh, you know, it's got all of those kind of elements. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just shows him how, like William Peter Blatty just has such a skill for visual storytelling too. Not only he, he's so confident in what he's got on the page already and with these actors that it, it just, it works so well to let him do, you know, these, these moments of unconventional edit shots and, and quick cuts and montages that are almost like battleship Potemkin style, <laughs> you know, yeah. edits where you're, you're looking at it and you're going, wait, why am I, why am I looking at this? Where am I going? And then, there's only a few moments. A lot of Kuleshov effects. <laughs> yeah, there you <laughs> go. Film school sophomores in the in the audience. And you, I mean, you only get a few that don't work because they're clearly reshots to <laughs> or reshoots to add in a priest to perform an exorcism at the end, where all of a sudden you're like, "Wait, what, what was the whole deal with that dead bird? What's going on?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's how the movie ends, and I I think it's cool. Like it, it's uh, it works it works for the end but uh, there was a moment i mean he comes in it's a it's a tone shift and it's a hard tone shift but i i love it i love how it just turns into like you know the knight in shining armor just walks through the door at that point right. but I would, it, it's 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 a hard thing because we've got you jamie you go so i was just gonna say i would argue even the original exorcist like has that sort of knight in shining armor like we have the extended prologue of max monsido in you know the desert digging up stuff and then he just disappears till the end of the movie and then shows up again so like right he's that's yeah. kind of how i was going to relate it to like the ending of this movie has a has a weird shift where you know the killer you know spirit takes over another woman steals a nurse's uniform goes to george c scott's house there's a little shuffle at the house of him having to rush back to save his family. Grandma has a great save. Yeah, there's an yeah. absolute like save the neck moment, yeah. which is a weird edit. But, you know, it kind of falls flat and you're like, OK, you know, what are we going to do with this? How are we going to like deal with the cosmic stakes of having a demon that can take over anybody's body? And then we get that Max von Sydow almost visual parallel in terms of what, you know, Father Morning even looks like. Yeah. We got a guy rolling in like, all right. We know there's a demon in this hospital. I'm going to go talk to it. And having a direct, wild, wind-blowing, you know, ripping your skin off power of demons exorcism that kind of explodes. And then it gives us, I think, the opportunity to have the only ending that makes sense for this movie, which is the Brundlefly, kill me, kill <laughs> me, pleading that Father Karras finally bleeding through and, and getting able to take control of his body gets to do. And the thing I love it's about his, this it's movie- It's his favorite movie. Yeah, and I, he, he does love the fly, so I'm just saying. <laughs> it, it, it's something that I think uh, my my uh, one little take on the, oh, kill me right now while you have the chance. Oftentimes, people don't do it fast enough or they drag it out and you're like, just do it. Not a chance. George C. Scott hears the words, shoot me, and he already <laughs> fired two seconds ago. Yeah. You know, And I think that really is powerful because then it just drops. The mm -hmm. whole movie just drops from there. And, uh, you know, you have to just deal with the ramifications of that finally being over. I also like his his solution was, I'm just going to go there and shoot him. Yeah, yeah, which is totally fine. Like he 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 kind of figures out like, all right, it's being kind of conduited through this person as a vessel like. Shouldn't have left. I really should just go shoot a guy. And like, that's, that's the part of this where I feel like you need the exorcism to show that like that wouldn't have worked or like, mm -hmm. this is more than just kind of even a carnal thing. You've got to like deal with getting 
the soul back to the forefront and that kind of stuff. So all of that gets kind of evoked through that choice of having Father Morning show up. But yeah, ultimately, it just takes three to the chest, one to the dome, and we're, we're out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it has been stated that they are stuck limited to the, you know, the inhabitants they choose of what a human body can do or have, you know. Although I mean, he can, can crawl on the ceiling. He can conjure snakes and great. it's it's all kind of hand wavy and they Right, right. But uh, well I think yeah. I think that that's more of a the yeah, other ending with the the snakes and different things. I, I took that less less literal and more like when casting visions. Yeah, when mm-hmm. you're in this battle between a priest and a demon, there's gonna they're you know, they're trying to trick you. It's it's showing you things that aren't real or fake and then well, then he does have like his skin ripped off. But <laughs> yeah, morning. Gets- I mean, hey, maybe may- what I contend is maybe he did it. Yeah, maybe yeah. he did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, morning gets to the short end of the stick. He like shows up as the hero and just gets completely obliterated by this demon. Yeah, poor guy. but it is so obvious he's like the badass when he comes through that door. Right. You're just and you're I- ready for. It. I love full garb priest like. Yeah, I don't think that there's any other defensible ending to this movie, and I know John Carpenter was considered to make a movie make this movie and would be good for this movie and kind of fell out once it became clear that like oh man if i'm going to work with william peter blatty he's going to have a very particular point of view and he's probably just going to need to direct this himself and they kind of quit amicably amicably from there but like yeah i think this is the type of movie that you know to adapt this you really need to have the author there in order to unpack the things 100 are going to be the most affecting out of a story that could have just become another like that we could be talking on this podcast about the exorcist and saying oh and then they just did that cash grab to capitalize on the zodiac killer years years later just mm-hmm. because it was coming back into vogue and like i hardly even remembered that there was a zodiac killer connection to this movie because of all of the other mm-hmm. swings that it takes instead you know but oh i'm sorry scorpio Oh, I mean, Gemini. We all love Carpenter, but I agree that I think Blatty as being the directorial voice of the film only elevates it. And like Carpenter may be a better filmmaker, but I think like Blatty really does bring, is allowed, you know, being unshackled and to work on this, like to bring his vision to life in a way that he just has those peculiarities that I feel like Carpenter would, would have been a weird fit for this. Yeah, I think he would have made this a lot like Prince of Darkness. Yes. Where I don't think that Prince of Darkness is my least or most favorite John Carpenter movie, but I think it struggles in how he directs actors talking about philosophical terms. That would be my very narrow complaint. And like, man, you get John Carpenter trying to do stilted reads of some of the carp shit in this or some of the (laughs) stuff about good and evil and confessions. And so I, I think we would have had a pretty stale almost like to, uh, you know, played for laughs kind of experience. But uh, I just want to go on an apology tour for the United States saying that uh, I'm sorry that we gave George C. Scott a Razzie nomination for this because (laughs) that's that's absurd. That's totally absurd. Give the guy some credit for try it. Like, of course, he's overdoing it a little bit. You hired George C. Scott and he's older. Yeah, he's been through a lot. Yeah, and like, but that dude hand... You look at that lockdown, almost like hunger style prison conversation scene. Like he's still playing yeah, that. He's, like he's it's doing the stage. Like he's, he's doing, doing stagecraft up yeah, there. That, like his looks upsetting. are so good. Yeah, I think they probably just saw the scene where everybody gets yeeted 
out of the clutches of the long yeah. trips. Yeah. <laughs> and he, they were like, oh, yeah, he's a little hammy in this. Yeah, he's but got, and he's got a few other moments with people. It's but. boar's head ham. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a <laughs> fine slice in this sandwich. Like, yeah, I hope that on some of these revisits and and reconnection to this film that people get more into those interrogation and talking scenes because it, it to me some of it is just like it's just even better done than silence of the lambs or other movies where people are always like oh this is the craziest scene between a person sitting and talking to a killer where this just works so well and george c scott is just giving some of the best looks back at yeah. him and he's got i mean a yeah and it's, it's brad dorif yeah. doing like yeah the doing the most and yeah. you know and then oh god forbid he needs to tap out you've got freaking you know uh, jason miller pulitzer right? prize yeah. winner jason miller yeah. on the other side of the eyes you know so not not having a, any lack of academy award nominated as well it's uh it's a and I, I think that's the thing is that in recent years this movie maybe would have been like the unexpected pick on a list like this. The the reevaluations and like the people kind of revisiting it has been nice and has been helpful to the legacy of this film because a lot of people, you know, wrote it off for whatever reason. You know, the hair, uh, Exorcist 2 sucked. Exorcist 3, it's another long gestating sequel that finally came out or, you know, 15 years after the fact. But, you know, it really is a, a proper and successful sequel. And who knows what we're going to get with the like trilogy of exorcist films that are coming out apparently with we didn't even talk about dominion slash the non-paul schrader beginning (laughs) the series of the exorcist has seen some for good reason apparently the tv show is apparently pretty good um yeah it you know for being something that's just going to largely try to capitalize on on you know retreading ground that's been Mm trod. you know this is something i would give a ton of credit for being a very fresh perspective from the the writer mm-hmm. of The Exorcist. You know, it's not going back in any similar direction other than just having a pasty, you know, Scandinavian-looking <laughs> hero priest. But yeah, I mean, this kind of wraps up our... Oh, wait, you know, I don't know if this I is a say, hot take, though, but I am tired of David Gordon Green redoing stuff. <laughs> oh, that's... We've, but that's we what are, I was saying. As, uh, I've, uh, as I was I've said multiple that. times. Yeah. We're, we're, we're going to be heading back to that direction quite a few times in future episodes, so don't you worry. But... I think this has been an interesting and I like David Gordon Green series. Just get someone else, <laughs> Chris. We get. It. <laughs> I'm trying to finish my five part mini series. Yeah. Um, we've had it follows into Lake Mungo, into Changeling, into Sinister, into this, and I think we've had like a fun investigation sub series with it, and I think that's been that's been cool and showing how the mixture of whether you're old or young how you could kind of step your toe into something that's a little otherworldly or you kind of open the wrong trap door and now you've kind of stepped into something. I think that's the uniting factor between all those movies and what makes them kind of that when we slipped through the wrong corridor. Now we're in the spooky world is a lot like how going out on Halloween feels to me a little bit. So next time we're coming only with, uh, with frights and nightmares. No, uh, no, no real mystery mystery i guess so maybe i'm underselling it but we are slipping through some different worlds yeah and i would say it's another example of a sequel that feels like a proper continuation of the original that's my hint so it's not halloween three <laughs> Halloween three is well not to bring up Halloween list, three, but I, I will talk about yes, it till the day I die. I am a big Halloween three fan, and I think that's this is almost a similar film that 
Yep, Halloween 3 suffers from being called Halloween 3. This probably suffers from being called Exorcist 3. So much so that they kind of hide the 3 and the O in yeah. most of the logo types as if to be like, yes, it's a Halloween 3 or Exorcist 3, but we're not trying to make it that way. Yeah, it's, it's, in, Exorcist. Conver- yeah, yeah. it's in conversation with uh, Live, Die, Repeat, Edge of Tomorrow <laughs> yeah. on, in terms they of should just call it a home video. Exorcist subtitle Legion would have been a cooler title. Yeah, they. I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if they don't change it to that because, I, I mean, Shout Factory has released a, a redone of this with the director's cut and different things, but this seems like one... You just like kind of put out a box set and forget about Heretic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. It's Or you just put it on like, all right, we'll give you the DVD on the back of the special features <laughs> disc. Just in case. Oh, you by the way, there was actually another movie that was made. Here's a special feature. You can watch yeah, it yeah, if don't you worry want. About it. Yeah, you can watch it in double time. Yeah. You get it. It's but. actually hidden in the menu. Don't look for it. Yeah, it's an yeah. Easter egg. But again, like, you know, I don't think Halloween and Halloween 3, you know, are going to go undiscussed in future episodes, potentially. But I think just to cap that off, I, I I do like the point of saying, like, sequels oftentimes care too much about character and care too much about closing loops. And this movie does that to a certain degree with Father Karras, but not quite. You know, he still died in 1975, if that makes sense, with the tombstone at the end. Yeah. <laughs> but this one, it's just like, let's continue on those themes you know of like mm-hmm. okay let's have a further distillation of good versus evil in the world relating it to a real life case you know of the zodiac killer you know similar to how halloween if you look at it michael myers was always about how the suburbs aren't safe even though you think they are and then halloween 3 is like maybe nothing in america <laughs> is safe because of how we've yeah. driven this corporate agenda and it's like that's the kind of sequel that is building rather than just kind of like rehashing or you know taking the same ingredients and putting them like this time it's on a boat you yeah know? <laughs> similarly i i mean i think this could have been a jump off point for a legion anthology series or something interesting i I think it's just a fun idea to connect some of these things but to your point files yeah Yeah. (laughs) and to your point like what we've been talking about is it really has to start with good writing and it has to start with good characters and that's where you jump off in this movie versus just immediately opening and being like here's how it connects to exorcist yeah it's it's because you have a character in this who's tangential in the exorcist but they were a good character then but now they take the mantle and they can see the themes mm-hmm. through their point of view. So you don't have to have the same characters just analyzing the same themes, but you can just keep the themes intact and then have strong enough characters throughout that, you know, it's not quite a sinister two <laughs> where you have deputy so-and-so taking the mantle. That's the uh, that's the opposite version. It's, it's kind of like giving the audience what they need and, as opposed to what they want. Like, it's kind of like you can give the audience what they want, which is, I guess they wanted to see more Linda Blair and obviously that didn't work out. So we're going to make your head spin in other ways. Yeah. (laughs) Ways you didn't see coming. Yeah. So I think Exorcist 3, I hopefully if you've watched it for the first time, you sort of appreciate it a little more and, you know, we'll be back tomorrow with uh, another, another fun romp. Yeah. Have some sweet dreams. Yeah. We'll be taking ourselves a little less serious tomorrow which is not a hint but you know it's uh somebody's coming for you and no that that was episode three (laughs) now i have to scroll back
Oh, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, did we do the Dark Knight? Okay, serious yeah. black joke. I'm going to go jump off a roof. but Or jump off into a staircase. There you, know, go. Mm, but there you go. Anyway, before I, uh, before I do that, we'll see you tomorrow and we'll be, uh, you know, definitely keeping our eyes peeled for uh update on episode 26 dropping 27 dropping tomorrow so we'll see you then thank you listeners goodbye peace